Good afternoon. Oh, I love that song. That song is by Mikasa and it's called Your Body. I really do like that song. So thank you so much, Duncan, for playing that song for me. Well, yeah, welcome to the Health Hour with me, Dr. Cindy C.F.N.Sale, um, at Doc Cindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I on Twitter. And you can call in on 0861 or you can tweet us at clipcentral.com. And this afternoon, I have Dr. Lerato Masimula um, in studio with me, and she's my guest for this afternoon's show. Lerato is a GP, and she works at um, a practice, Tari Health. And I've called her in so we can just basically get down and find out what do GPs do? What is it all about? Are GPs making money out of us? Are medical aids making money out of them or out of us? Like, what's exactly what is what exactly is going on? But basically, just to, just to get behind what a GP does, because I think a lot of us, um, we go to our doctors, we sit there, we grumpy, we sick, but I don't really understand the work that goes behind being a GP. Because in my books, the GPs are certainly at the top of the food chain because they have to know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about that? You know, so this is why Lerat is here. You can catch us on Instagram as well, Cliff Central, Facebook, Cliff Central, and WeChat um, at Cliff Central. So welcome, Lerat. Thank you so much for being here on this very hot day. Yeah, the heat is something else. Hey, I love summer though. Really? I just don't like heat waves. You know, I'm, I'm, the past three days have been crazy. I was in Pretoria yesterday. And that's, another, that's another country in terms of the heat. <laughs> it was 35 degrees. Mm. You know? But yeah, to talk us through, well, certainly I'm interested to know how you ended up doing medicine. Where, you know, you know, when did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? And I know you had a stint. You did, um, you started to specialize and then you left that and you ended up with Tari Health. Just mm. talk us through that. Well, thanks for having me. Um, okay, if you said I'm a GP, I have my own practice actually. The Tari Health is just the name that I gave my practice mm-hmm. because I'm passionate about health, obviously, because I'm a doctor. And Tari means community. My language is Sepedi Tari is community. Okay. You know? So it's like community health, if you want to loosely translate it like that. But if, if we talk about it and rework as Sepedi, it's actually much more, it's more, much more meaningful. Um, and, and, and deep meaning to it. So, um, it's a general practice. Like you said, the GPs are at the top of the food chain in terms of uh, w- all things health related. Um, we like equal to the primary healthcare clinics. Basically, it's, it's the entry point. It should be the entry point into the health system. Uh, as opposed to people saying, I know I've got piles and I want to see a surgeon to cut them out. You know, you, you don't, you shouldn't get to decide that because maybe it's not, it's nothing that severe and a GP can give you something that can make them go away, you know? So the very important part in the health, um, chain, as, as, if you want to call it that. Um, but I feel like they're also often the most abused <laughs> of the, of that whole process because people take advantage of them and I might say maybe say also like less respect compared to the specialists and I don't know why because it's like your family doctor they treat you your partner your children your grandmother everybody you know and unlike most specialists they're there when you need them because specialists get booked up like three for 12 months in advance, you know, because they have their specialized function and they, they, they tend to spend more time with their patients. They admit patients. They do surgery. So they don't have every single day of the week to be attending to patients. And also they make a lot of money so they can go away on holidays more frequently than the GPs do. <laughs> and it's interesting that you say that because GPs, the way I've always understood it, it's birth to death. So yes. your family doctor is there when you're born mm-hmm. and they're there when you die. That's how I've understood yes. it. And what yes. people, I think what people need to appreciate is that GPs 
are really should be the first port of call in our health system. Primary healthcare is the basis. When you're not, when you're not feeling well, you have a slight flu, you go to your GP or you go to your clinic, and then if there's anything more serious than that, they will then refer, refer you up. up. Yeah. But we have a system in this country where people just bypass the, they, they just go straight to the hospital. Yes. And yet there are GPs out there whose role it is is to sift who goes where and mm. who needs what. What I see a lot in the northern suburbs is casualties, the thing, the emergency room. Oh, I was in the emergency room for four hours. I'm like, why are you punishing yourself like that when I used work the ER and guess what I'm a GP there's no specialist in the ER yes they might have easier access to specialists if you're there if you need specialist care who's going to come on an emergency basis or even advise the GP to give you a date to come back you know but guess what I have a network of specialists I send to so if you're in my rooms and I think you're in emergency you're going to jump the ER queue and go straight into the ward for whatever that needs to be done, investigations, treatment, operation, or whatever. So I think people need to think about that. But a lot of people, like I said in the beginning, they don't think about it or they just think you're just a GP. In fact, a lot of people will ask me, what kind of doctor are you? I'm a GP. Oh, just a GP. And I'm like, mm, yeah, just a GP. But we actually do a lot more than just. Well, the work that I've been doing, I mean, especially with HIV training, I actually say stuff like, oh, you're just a specialist. Because if you're a specialist, you've painted yourself into a corner. Exactly. And you only know that thing that you've specialized in. You actually forget Exactly. Because with medicine, it's you use it or you lose it. So yes. once you've specialized, you know nothing else about general medicine. And that's why I still think that, you know, GPs are at the top of the food chain. Um, I saw something in the paper this morning and there, it was just, just, I just saw a headline and just something along the lines of, um, medical aids, um, um, charging, forcing doctors to do something or forcing patients to do something else. I've never worked in private like that. And I've mm-hmm. always wondered when you prescribe medicines or you, you know, you choose certain drugs over this drug, What's driving that? What's the driver behind such decisions? Um, two things for me mainly. Is it going to help the patient and can their patient afford? I do script differently. Um, for example, say a general worker, domestic worker comes to see me, they've got flu. I'm not going to script for them top of the mark, most expensive ethical drugs. But I'm not going to give them generics I've never heard of or ever used myself or have any data in front of me that I, that I don't know sure who makes them, how is it going to work. So I'll prescribe for them affordable, you know, pro- proven to work with a good name kind of generics that I know they're not going to leave here and they'll be able to get the medication, you know. So because I don't dispense. So um, some practices dispense, but, you know, I don't dispense. So I give that script knowing that at least they're going to spend like 100, 150 rands if they can afford it. Um, and depending on how bad the situation is, we might even like work in the discount on the consultation parts so they can actually get the medication because ultimately you come to your doctor to get medication so you can get better. Um, and then there are those who really money is not a problem and you can prescribe whatever. As long as it's going to work, it's fine. And then there are those who will ask you to prescribe what the medical aid is going to pay for. And it's something I struggle with because I don't know which medical aid pays for what. You know, I mean, there's like 10,000 medical aid companies in the country and patients actually expect me to know every single nitty gritty detail about what they cover, covers and what it doesn't. And that's actually not fair. It's like somebody expecting me to know what their house insurance entails. It's the same thing. This is your health insurance. You must know what they're going to give you um, in terms of cover or not. You know, um, which I can take it further into doctor's fees. Mm-hmm. You know, different medical aids pay different rates. And sometimes the doctors like me who take medical aid, we feel like we're being pushed into a corner because you say medical aid rates acceptable. Mm-hmm. One medical aid pays 200 rands, one pays 300 rands. Um, so the one who pays 200 rands, do they think I'm not worth the 300 rands? You know, so it's just one of those catch 22 situations where you have the patient. So- sometimes you just look, you know, turn the blind eye or, 
looked wherever and just you know take the money they give you because you say to the patient I take your medical I take medical aid rates. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they are way below what you would normally charge even a cash patient. So you're telling me that with some medical aids, if you're if you're if you charge a patient four hundred rand, I'll use four hundred mm-hmm. rand as a, as, a, as a as a number, which is actually an average. Okay, so four hundred rand yeah. for a consultation, mm-hmm. and medical aid A. Um, only will only pay two hundred rand, mm-hmm. and medical aid B will only pay three hundred rand. You must now. What what happened? What do you have to do? I mean, what, what are you meant to do? Nothing. And the patient must pay in, or this what? is why mo- no, they don't want to pay in. They say you say you take medical aid. They're cocky like that, you know. But they'll go to a, p- a practice which takes cash only, and pay that four hundred rands. Well, then that means that medical aids are a problem. That they I do, are because a problem. If I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm paying about 4,000 rand a month on my medical aid. Mm-hmm. And I have never, it hasn't even ever crossed my mind that I could go to a practice and my medical aid card is, is rejected or I have to pay in. I, paying in is not an option because I am paying a lot of money inside medical mm-hmm. aid. But scheme. do you know that your medical aid is not paying the doctor's rate? And do you care? I haven't. Do you care that checked. the doctor has children in a bond, a car and other expenses? Rent, be able to afford the rent that so you can keep coming back to see the doctor. This is very interesting. So this is what that whole Twitter fight is all about. It mm-hmm. is around this and the affordability mm-hmm. and how much money we're paying in. And I remember at one stage people thought that you were being arrogant or cocky, but you were actually, I mean, now that I'm sitting face to face with you, mm-hmm. I'm understanding what you're trying to point out that you have, you have a practice and you have, it's um, a business. You have, the exactly, the day. You I have help things people. to pay. You have, to, yeah. you have salary. Exactly. I have workers. So I have good people who work for me. I have to pay me a salary. So at the end of the day, I can't run a practice where the medical aid is going to dictate an amount to me. It's going to make my business go under so that, you know, you can cry as much as you want about, oh, no, she was here. She was a good doctor or whatever. Now she's gone. Yes, if I can't afford to pay the rent in the shopping center that I'm working at, you know, I'm not going to stay because it's it's a business. Why are other businesses allowed to dictate what they charge for a part of a car or whatever, 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 but a doctor can't? Because you want to help the patient and reduce their cost. For example, this morning I saw a patient whose medical aid pays two forty six. That's a that's far away from the four hundred rands. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, but if I say to the patient, please pay the difference, and they they're like, I'm not, I'm not paying you. No, 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 no. It's not about that because they'll go to the pharmacy and use their medical aid to get medication. Funny enough, they'll pay in at the pharmacy, the pharmacy levies. But nobody wants to pay in at the doctors for the doctors. Well, that's quite a dilemma. Hence, I said there's a bit of an abuse element to it or disrespect or disregard to the fact that you're running a business, you're human, you also have the same needs as I do. I work, I get paid so much money. You work, you operate your own business based on if I see X amount of patients a day at this amount of much, um, much of money, I'll be able to pay the following things. And then the patients come and the amounts vary. And then what? Well, do you ever say no? Do you ever turn patients away? I mean, I think for me it's just very difficult to even think about about health and business in the same sentence. But that's because I come from a, a public sector mm-hmm. background. And I've worked in public sector mm-hmm. for 10 years. And when I was there working in public sector at the, public hosp- at the various public hospitals, I never thought of it that way, you know. and Until you were in the system. Exactly. And you get mad like, oh, my gosh, we don't have consumables. We don't have this, this, this. Meanwhile, you know, people come to the public sector hospital don't pay nothing, and now the money must come from somewhere to replace those things. I mean, it's it's it's, it's very complicated. It's not as simple as I'm putting it mm. to be. But I mean, until you open up your own practice, and you, know, you have to buy you know, the beds, the the inject the, the syringes, the needles, the this, the this, the that, mm. and to run a business basically, and then also project how much you want to earn. I mean, when you go for a job interview, the first thing you do is check and say how much they're gonna pay me. So I wasn't gonna open a business knowing that I'm not gonna make money because mm. I need to live. I don't work anywhere else. This so is my this, this is, is your my bread and, and butter. butter. 
So, okay, this is very interesting. <laughs> so the patient that you dealt with this morning, did you help the patient? I helped the patient. She paid in. She doesn't mind. She's one of my patients. She's been with me since I opened my, pra- my practice. When she came with, when she switched medical aids from the one she had before yeah. to the one she has now, and I said to her, listen, your medical aid is a bit of a problem for my rate. And she was like, doctor, you know, you're my doctor. You always help me. I'm not going to shortchange you. So you get those who see the value. But then you get those who are like, uh-uh, you said general medical aid rates. And I'm like, but listen, the difference between your medical aid rate, if it's like 360 and my rate is 400 rands, like you said, I'm not going to fight for 40 rands. This is the patient who keeps coming back. It's fine. Rather the 360 than a grumpy person who goes to see somebody else. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, it's within, it's, it's reasonable. It's not a big, big, huge difference. It's not going to make, but, but it's, if it's 240 but it's still compared loss. to 400. Yeah. Then it's something else. You know? So what, so you were specializing at one stage. Mm-hmm. And we, what were you specializing in and how long did you specialize for? I did forensic pathology. So yeah. So this is like CSI. I was CSI, CSI Miami. People. I was CSI <laughs> Um, I did that for three years. You were nearly done. I was nearly done, but there were politics and I couldn't get to my first rotation for anatomical pathology so I could write my first paper. So that was one aspect. And then I had kids and cutting up Little fetuses was just not appealing to me. It was What's actually very kids? traumatic. So I kind of like, you know, decided like, do I want to fight this battle and force myself to be in a place I don't actually really am not feeling it anymore. Mm. Um, I could have to, to change the world and make it a better place so that they must know in the future they can't treat people like this kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, but I think the, 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 that probably played a part in terms of I was already kind of in a place where I was like, I'm tired of these people. I, every single year, I can't fight. discrimination, racial discrimination. There was, she was something like that. And ge- gender discrimination? I'm not sure about gender because Which I think we're all racism. women, yeah. That's, it's a tough life. I always tell people that the life of a black female doctor is, is a tough, tough one. And tough. no one believes me. It's, it's, <laughs> you, you, you're literally always fighting for oxygen. You're always fighting for air. To be recognized. To be recognized. To be whether it's in the hospital, whether wherever it's in you go. People <laughs> asking you, so which school did you go to? Is it a good school? It's, it's a good school. Is it in Pretoria? I'm like, no, it's in Karankua. Where is that? I'm like, it's in South Africa. <laughs> and just, cause it's, so back to your practice. Um, what services do you offer? Do you um, do pretty I, much everything except for surgery? <laughs> Oh, so you don't easier. do circumcision? I do circumcision. That's not a surgery. It's a minor procedure. Oh, no, no. Chopping <laughs> of foreskin is a surgery to me. <laughs> I do minor skin procedures, like removal of like little, warts um, so of, of warts, circumcisions, um, skin papillomas, um, you know, anything that I know is not, like I, I remove like minor lipomas and stuff like that. Mm. And here's the thing, if, 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 if it's gonna save them money because going to see a specialist like a thousand and a front or something ridiculous like that, then it's okay for the rather to see me. I know. You know, and we don't want to jump the queue. We don't want to jump to the specialist because now she's good enough for this. But you know what? It's just, it's just the nature of the game, I suppose. And I've got a thick skin. Like nothing actually phases me these days. Well, after chopping up dead bodies for three years, of course (laughs) nothing phases you. No, I I used to be, I used to cry a lot in the beginning. Like I can't believe. No, you can't. During an autopsy, you'd be crying during an autopsy. Not not autopsies. Like when I open my own. Uh, practice. Oh, was it it was very hard. tough. Yeah, because I mean, I'm in the suburbs, northern suburbs. And yeah. actually, somebody actually asked me, so how did you come to open here? Like with a tone of, it's white so people, it's it's a white white people here. Asking. Yes. <laughs> and what did like, you say? And I think the, the, the one thing they didn't say was instead of Soweto or Timbisa. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it came <laughs> across like that. I was like, oh, because I live here. And so how many years have you have you have you been It's my working? fourth year now. Oh, it's 2012, well. 13, 14. That's my, my fourth year now. You're doing well. I can't complain. HIV services? I, I do HIV services, um, cold and flus, vaccinations mm. for the kids, 
um, flu vaccines, pneumococcal, all sorts of vaccinations. Within, I don't do travel medicine because I need to have a certificate for that. But I know a doctor in the area who's currently studying that, and she will then come in for those patients of mine. So, in about twelve to eighteen months, we'll have that service. Oh, of that's travel, fantastic! And people do travel. I refer people to Rosebank, so yeah. I suppose I could refer people yes, to your area because then, I mean, I just thought there's no need for two of us to have the same license. Mm. She's, she's willing to study, so let her do it, and then they will book her patients. Um, because I mean, travel medicine is by appointment anyway. We'll book a patient and she'll come in like a Saturday morning or whenever it suits her and the patient. She'll do all those vaccinations and everything. We do Botox now. My, oh my Gucci, <laughs> when did that start? It started this year. So you went for training and everything else? I don't do it, but the doctor who works for me does it. Okay. Yeah, so, so she went for training. She's medicine. got, yeah, she's got a certificate because that, it's not a really special interest of mine, but then she works for me uh, part time. Okay. Um, so, so she comes in every day or? She comes in most weekends and some weekday afternoons. Okay. And so then she does we just, every month we look, we look at the month ahead and we say, okay, fine. This weekend, this weekend, that weekend and which days of the week because I'm a mom. So any time off. I'm happy to take And then she was like I can come in there There, 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 there Then we'll, we'll book her So is, is Botox Is it popular? Yeah it's which, like, so We just started this year It's only yeah. been like What, five weeks of the year Oh, okay Yeah and So she she wasn't there Primarily for the Botox She's there as a, as a GP To help me With the workload As well So I can attend to my kids And take time off And rest and things like that But yeah She also does that So she's You know When she mentioned that I'm like in passing, I'm like, uh, what's wrong with you? You've been with me for like almost a year and it's only now you tell me. <laughs> People have been asking me for this and I, I don't have the time, nor the inclination for, like I don't have time to go, because yeah. you need to do a course. Oh, okay. Like I think it's like a day or two workshop or something. I don't have time like that. I just, mm. I'm a mom, I run the business and the logistics of that is just a bit too much sometimes. And I guess there was nothing inside me pushing me mm. to go do it. So she was just like an edit extra because oh, she came with that, yeah. So, so like, what's a typical day in the life of a GP? Oh my word! The day starts off in the morning. The phones ring off the hook, and here's another thing: we take appointments. We prefer appointments, but we'll see you if you don't have an appointment. If it's an emergency, so you, you know? oh, so you just only see booked patients, no walk-ins. We do see walk-ins if it's an emergency. Like if if you walk in and you're like, my child is hot, or whatever. I'm not going to be like, go home, come back at seven or go home, come back tomorrow. I'm going to see the patient. And most of the time, if there's somebody in the waiting room, we like, can, you can see a sick child. Can we please quickly? Everybody's like, yeah, sure. You know, there hasn't been like a grumpy patient because somebody had to cut in because they were walking in there with an emergency. And we do have two rooms. Somebody can sit on the drip while we see other patients, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so we prefer uh, bookings. And my patients know this. I've done this from 2012. You know, I haven't, it's not a new thing. We've never had a sit and wait kind of arrangement ever. I mean, my waiting room has like two couches. There's no sit and wait because there's no room for queues. There just isn't. You need to book because there mustn't be more than four to five people in the waiting room at any given time, you know? So then they'll get cross that they can't get an appointment in the morning. I'm like, listen. Can you just like wake up and then phone at eight o'clock when we open? Because but they get cross. I call at ten. I think I'm going for top. I'm like yes because by by eight by eight fifteen eight thirty. I've already got the morning booked. is booked up, and I don't work in the like now. I'm not at work. Yeah, this is the time I'm not at work anyway. Generally, Cliff Central interview or not, because I'm a mother. Oh, so you doing the school run? Yes, I fetch kids. Time. I do homework. And then I go back at half past four to eight. Oh my open. word! Yes, because people come back from work and find child with nanny. Oh no, child was fine. Now it's hot or 
child was in a cage during the day, whatever. Or you at work, you feel a bit ill, you're not sure. You're driving home in the car and you're like, damn, I'm, I'm sick. So I'm watching so Generations and you're at work. I'm at work. This is interesting. So your day starts at eight. And ends and at eight. And it, end, it ends at eight, but you've got this gap in between where you must go into all I the money stuff. I do my mum's stuff. And, and I, then you and go back to, work. I go back to work. And it actually works. I live close to the practice. School is not far from home. So it's all like a 10 kilometer radius between. But that's a really, that's a really, that's a great and, business and model. And that I, I mean, I don't know other GPs that do that's really clever because you're right. Yeah. People do get home and they do have issues or they're not feeling well. And there you are. You're open. Yes. And I'm sure you see a lot more people in the afternoon than you do during the morning, in the morning or I is think, it the yeah. same? I think in, in, in the beginning, starting out, I wasn't really sure with. Like it was going to work, stuff. yeah. No, 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 no. Oh. no. Uh, it was always going to work because oh. I, I used to work in casualty. Remember? Oh yes, and you saw all so the when people saw come the in uh, in casualty with flus. I'm like, what's going on here? Hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Aha moment! I can do this. <laughs> I can't put on my own practice. Not on my feet, running around making money for someone else, kind of thing, you know. So it was always going to work. So I actually used to work at Arbordale, up the road from my practice. Yeah. So I was like, down the road, ladies and gentlemen, down the road, you can get <laughs> You're this. You're feeling unwell. At down the road. Price without Turn any, right. with no facility fees and all those things, and not waiting for four hours to get your antibiotics, for tonsillitis, kind of thing. So you 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 identified a gap in the market. I identified a gap in the market, and I went for it. Um, like I said, it was very hard in the beginning. Apart from those kind of remarks I mentioned earlier. Yeah. It was the hours. My kids were there by the time I started my practice. It was the sacrifice of time away from the kids. And then once we were established and I was able to say, right, we see so many patients a day. Um, because during the day, kind of like it's quiet. People come in the morning and then it's a little bit quiet. There's like a few gaps. You will see somebody at like one and then at like 20 to two and then at like three o'clock. So I was like, okay, let's compress all the gaps into so many hours. And I said, instead of two hours, because it's a 12 hour day, I'll make it three hours. I have, I still have nine hours in the day to work. That's more than, you know, it's, it's, that's it's more an than average. Enough. Yeah. Well, that's more a than really enough. great model. If yeah. I open a practice, I'm going to run it the same <laughs> way because really it's a after hours. It's a problem. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a waste of money for people to go from home to casualty for and sniffles and, and, and sit for so four on. hours and because somebody came in with cardiac, at, uh, cardiac arrest or somebody came with a broken leg or there was an accident and you sit. And you still pay such a lot of you money do. for that. So yes. that is, that's a really great business model. So yeah. well, we'll take a, a song break. I mean, Johnny Gill, you know, it's Valentine's Day. I know you're like very romantic and very. <gasps> Excuse me? Johnny Gill. What did, what is did in you hear about me? <laughs> Johnny Gill is in town. Remember Johnny Gill at a time? He's, he's from our age. Now you're exposing my age. I, exactly. For people that don't know, Johnny Gill's from <laughs> my so era. I'm on air. Now you're telling people I'm old. <laughs> yeah, so Johnny Gill's from my era. So when we were, when I was a teenager, we used to croon and sing and write I love know. songs. And, you know, Johnny Gill was. Is, was is he the guy person. that sings that my, my, my? Yes, ah. that's the guy. So if people don't know who he is, he's from the, you know, he's not from the 70s. I was born in the 70s, but he's from the 90s. Like so yeah. late 70s, like come on. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm hurtling towards 40. <laughs> so am I. I'm like... Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Clipcentral.com.
Well, if you've just joined us, um, this is Dr. Cindy Siofensel on the Health Hour, and I have Lerato Masimola, Dr. Lerato Masimola in studio. And that is My, My, My by Johnny Gill. Johnny Gill is going to be in studio on Friday. Um, oh, that song is so awesome. It reminds me of my childhood. But anyway, <laughs> you can tweet us at cliffcentral.com. You can call in 0861 Instagram, Cliff Central. Facebook, Cliff, Cent- Cliff Central. And WeChat, our ID is Cliff Central. So yeah, Lerato, prescription drugs and the abuse of prescription drugs. Do you yes. see that a lot in your practice? I'm yeah. like a drug dealer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me Yeah, more. they come in and they spin your stories. Nobody, you see them the first time and they've moved into the area or the doctor's ill or something, something, something. So there's always a story. It's always a story. I've picked this up as a trend. There's always a story that they'll spin you, but it only clicks later. And now I pick it up like from the get-go because like I said, it's like my fourth year in. So, and then they ask, um, they make a typical example of somebody who claims to be going overseas soon. So, and she, so and she would like all her tablets up front. Okay. And, and then, you know, I'm a good heart. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I write a short note for the pharmacist. But the thing is on the script, you can only get so much per month according to the dose that I've prescribed, right? So she took all her medication, 180 tablets, because she was oh, going to travel. What, 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 mean, what, what is a medicine? sleeping tablet? Okay. And then, a month later, oh no, she didn't go overseas and she misplaced, while she was packing to go, she's misplaced all the medication. A hundred like, and I was like, no. And then we then called the pharmacist around to flag her to say, please, if somebody comes by this name, I mean, she could get an alias, but if somebody comes by this name, at least then we'll know. That so pharmacies flag people? They do. So if I come to you and I keep asking yeah. for diazepam yeah. mm. and I come in and I come and come in again, you will mm. phone around and say, please, Cindy Fansale, do not issue any diazepam. Yeah. Whoever, whoever and pharmacists has called given me. up a script. Some pharmacists have called me. They're like, um, doc, we see one of your patients here. You gave her a script for this, this, this. Now she comes with a different script from another doctor okay. with the same medication. Are you aware of this? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Please don't dispense. I will call Dr. B and ask and, uh, and make the, the doctor aware. Because like I said, if they come to me, I don't know who else they went to that month. Oh, my word. So I could go and around this, and this, this is a GP problem because they're not going to pull this crap with the specialists, mm. really. Yeah. They're not going to pay a 1,200 rand just to get a script. So so which drugs are most commonly abused? Sleeping medications, anxiety medications, and diet pills. Duramine. Please don't mention Duramine, Relislim, Obisenex, all of those. But I know that you don't issue Duramine. I, I did a Twitter series on Duramine. And I have warned everyone with ears, do not use it's that drug. Tox- it's just, yeah. It's it makes bad you so side sick. Effects. It's, it's yeah, side effects. Like, what are some terrible. of the side effects of Duramine? Oh my gosh, palpitations, insomnia for like, for hours. I took Dur- a, a Duramine capsule once. Really? To make myself, just to see to, what to, to, as a guinea pig. I wanted to see what the people are feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and in fact, it wasn't like I'm going to deliberately take one. Um, I was at work and I was feeling tired. And I said, you know what? I just need something to boost my energy right now because they say apparently boost your energy and you get to work. And a colleague had them in her bag. Um, so I took one. I said, you know what? And I've never taken one before. So I want to see what it actually, if, if the energy thing is right and what else about this whole appetite suppressing things. You won't eat and that's not good. Like I tried to eat that day. Nothing. By the end of the day, I couldn't sleep. Like the next day, four o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning. By the time I slept the day after that, I was dead and I had a headache of note because I hadn't eaten. So my glucose levels must have been like, you know, my mouth was dry, was so dry, was stuck together. Like I couldn't speak. I had to literally sip water like with every single sentence because my mouth was like hectic, mm, kind of dry, you know, palpitations, irritability. 
I mean, I have patients who will tell me, um, I'll be a monster for six months, but just give me that medication because I need to lose weight. I'm like, you want to make your husband and kids go through this just for a few kilos that you're going to gain after you stop the, the duramine because well, you're, you're not, not willing to kidneys. learn a lesson in, in, um, lifestyle changes. They're like, yeah, and I'm, I'm going somewhere, holiday, wedding, whatever. It's a quick fix, basically. I've never actually seen anybody who's taken duramine. Can I not say never? There is a patient who went on an eating program with a duramine and she literally forced herself to eat. So she lost the weight and continued with the eating program. There are a few success stories, but I must say a lot of the people just couldn't care about eating right. And they the success wanna, stories are, it's almost always that people, it has to be people who are morbidly obese because yes, duramine yes, kickstarts your metabolism. Yeah, exactly. You lose a bit of weight and then you can stop the exercise and, and it does the whole appetite control with the portion control and things like that. Yeah. yeah. But people abuse that. They literally. And, and what about pain medication? Pain medication, definitely. You know the ones with which have opioids in them. Mm. The trauma says the still pains. All of those. Even 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 a simple mypridol. People think it's a uh, take a mypridol for headache. People abuse but I those. I use mypridol. It's fine, but do you abuse it? Do you take it on a daily basis, like a bottle a day? A bottle a day. Yeah, and you know, like I was actually quite concerned when the. Apparently, it's, it's the law that you, you can't get like 10 or 30 without a, a script. But people who abuse these things, their pharmacy hop and the doctor hop. So if they know they can get 30 from the pharmacy before they can now need to bring a script, they'll go from this discam, this clicks, that Medicare, that link, that link. Before you know it, they've had like thousands of my protocols in one month. That is crazy. Hmm. And injections, like I know there's quite a few GPs in town that give um, saline injections because patients don't feel healthy. They don't feel helped until they've gotten an injection. Oh, no, I don't believe in that. I'll tell the patient if they need an injection and I'll tell them if they don't. If they don't need and they insist, I'll tell them I'll rather give you a B shot because that's not going to harm you. Oh, if it's been B2 yeah. shot, but that's really not, painful. It's though. not going to, but they want something. Like I've got my old ladies, you know, like doctor, you know, give me the injection. I know it works faster. And then it depends. If, if they've got pain, there are pain injections. It's fine. Then instead of taking it orally, they can take it, you know, intramuscularly. That's fine. I don't think that's actually an addiction as such. People who are, who are hooked on injectable medications, they're not going to come to me to consult for that because they probably want something they can take daily. You know oh, what I'm I saying? See. Yeah. But I wouldn't give, I think it's unethical to give saline injections and water for injection only without medication. Well, people are doing it. No, but it's wrong. Cause what are you going to build a patient? Are you going to build them for a medication you didn't give? Or even if you're on billet, the patient thinks you gave them something and you give them nothing. And if it works, placebo effect. It's placebo effect, but I think it's wrong. It's unethical. It's, it's, it's unethical. Yeah. And so I see, I see, I mean, we met on Twitter. Yes, I we did. So if everyone needs to know, we <laughs> met on Twitter. And then I met you at a South African Medical Association event. Mm-hmm. And you do tweet quite a lot. I mean, I know you've done a few series on, on cervical cancer and, 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 and things like that. What do you think of, of like, would you create an app, Tari Health app, patients, you know, message you, you, ask for scripts and so on? What do you think of that? I mean, I, I think, Healthcare is going in that direction mm. Short of issuing drugs via a cell phone mm-hmm. I think we're, we're getting more and more digitized What's your, what are your, t- what's your take on that? Um, I, I, you know, digi- digital stuff would never replace clinical examination mm. Okay, But I do think there's a place for things like that For example, say an app where a patient can log on And request their repeat medication Their mm-hmm. chronic stuff, like their contraceptives um, Their blood pressure medications, their cholesterols Where if you've logged on it picks up that you've logged on before six months ago and you've only gotten a script. You never confirmed appointment to do bloods and things like that. Those kind of things. It, it, it needs to have things like that where you can't just keep um, requesting 
prescriptions. If you're asthmatic, I need to see what your lung functions are. If you have blood pressure, I need to see what your blood pressure is. If you've got cholesterol, I need to see what your new levels are. And then I used to controlled. You know what I'm saying? Because diseases evolve all the time with age. Some of them resolve and go away and you don't need the medication. Some of them get worse and you need to change your medication. So... Like I do now, it's not an app, but I, I, I tell the patients that are on chronic and I've seen them for at least two years and I know they're controlled, that I only see them once a year unless they come in for flus or an injury or something else. Oh, I see. They don't need to come in every month, number one, because we do six months repeats mm-hmm. for prescriptions and they don't need to come in every six months either if I'm happy that they're controlled. Okay. There are those patients you have to keep an eye on because they, 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 their illnesses kind of like fluctuate up and down. Sometimes they're controlled, but should there be a stressful situation, it goes way out of range and you need to um, tweak medication a bit because even if it's way out of range for the stressful situation, if it doesn't get resolved, then they, it's blood pressure for a long time. They can get a heart attack and things like that. So I'll tell them you can come in once a year. Um, for me to examine you and other times just calling for a script and it's working very well. They actually just, they, we've got a, a business cell phone. They text, Hey doc, do you for my ever patches or whatever? And then we do it, bill it, reply back, Hey Dan, please come collect. They come collect and they pay the bill and they go, they don't have to make so queue. Efficient. They don't have to pay for consultation. It's just for the script because that there's nothing else. Efficient. And I mean, these are patients I see during the year anyway mm. for, Flus and things like that, or their kids and stuff like that. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm losing money because I'm only coming in and pay one twenty for the script. <laughs> you know what I'm no, saying? No. So it's well, not you even look, you're making life easy for everybody. Exactly, you know, cause because there are patients sitting in the waiting room sick. Why would you want somebody who's healthy just exactly, need a script for this? Yeah. So and, and I'm glad you mentioned contraception because this is the one thing I have never understood about the private sector and 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 contraception. In the public sector, they're family planning nurses, but any nurse can write up. Contraception for you mm. In the private sector You need to see a doctor You know You need to pay Consultation fee See a doctor And have the script Written out for you I don't understand that I only do that For the first consult If I don't know you From Adam mm-hmm. You know You come to me And so say you need your pills I need to go into Your history Because the other thing I go into is History of breast cancer I do a breast examination mm-hmm. I go through Histories of smoking Previous DVTs like I said, I can't just issue a script. Yes, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously, I mean, there yeah. is a, there is a, a, a clinical examination specific yeah. for people that need contraception. Exactly. But so that's, that's, yeah. that's my first contact. But then you know, if you're happy with your contraceptive, and funny enough, somebody will call in and say, I need a script for contraceptive A. I've never seen them, and they get grumpy that they must come and see me because it's just for the pill. They come in, they sit, and we have a chat, and they're like, you know what, actually, I don't like this pill. It makes me feel so da 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 and they ended up changing it. But you were so hell-bent on just me issuing your script. And right now, you're better off having spoken to me and then gotten something that's different from what you're on, that's improving your quality of life. But do you think contraception should be down to that doctor level? I mean, if, if we're doing it at primary healthcare level in the, in the, in the public sector, why not? There are the- private primary healthcare nurses. And yeah. you can see them. You can get a script. Where? Yeah, um, I don't know. Look it up on the internet. But there are. I mean, I... Knew of a primary healthcare nurse in private And she actually okay. worked in a doctor's practice I guess it worked very well She could see her own patients Like for kids immunizations Etc, etc, etc Do um, contraceptives and everything And also see the minor stuff You know, the BPs and everything like that And also maybe help the doctor with drips and things like that oh, okay. So, that, she, so, so that, that, that kind of thing So was she charging a different she was fee? Charging a different fee okay. Because, you know, she's not charging a doctor's rate She's charging a nurse's rate 
That's and I will definitely look that up yeah. because I get a lot of requests for scripts for contraception, and it's just, it just so bizarre. I always said, go to your nearest government clinic and exactly ask for the tablets you. there. Yeah. But the one thing that I learned as well is that what we have in the public sector is not what is often in the private sector. So the private sector will have yes, for mm-hmm. example, we'll everyone's a lot on yes of different like and the variety. The, yeah, yeah, and there's the patch, and then there's the morena, mm. and we haven't we're not offering that um, mm. at the moment. No, in, in like the public a three sector. variety of three, like a, a what two combination pills and one. Um, one, what a single hormone pill, mm. and then you've got the you've got the implant on now. Yeah, the implant on is yeah, yes. implant is working well. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of women have, have implant on is the implant that they yes. put under, under your skin, under yeah. skin in your arm, which I also I do at my practice. Oh, so you go for training and everything <laughs> I else. I do Mirena's, I do implants. Yes. Wow, you do see. And uh, this is what I keep saying. GPs are at the top of the future and they know everything about everything. I do about everything. I will do prostate examinations if the patient is not feeling all weird about it. <laughs> because some men are how like, does, no how does that go though, Lorato? Like, if someone doesn't want you to examine them, like their prostate, I like, take no offense and I don't, okay. I don't force the issue. I mean, say a patient who sort of see me when they were 39. Okay. Yeah. Now they're of age, of, Screening and we need to check those things. They're forty forty one, and we have become you know familiar with one another. I see them, I see the wife, I see the kids, and they just feel like maybe it's too much of a friendly doctor kind of uh, what relationship, and they don't want me in their business like that. It's fine. Then I refer them to the. I just tell them you do need this examination to be done. So now I will do your bloods. You will take your PSA levels and go to the urologist for an examination okay. because it needs to be done. So we need to have ground zero. We need to have a point of of reference. Should okay. there be anything in the future? And they don't have any problems with that. Okay. And there are those who are like don't have money or time to go waiting three weeks to see the. So I don't mind. You can Shana do the Kona, examination. You know, so oh, we do the, okay. the examination. And and I mean, I'm glad you mentioned um pa- partners. Okay. Patient confidentiality Doctor patient confidentiality So I'll give you a scenario Partner comes in Tests for HIV Partner's positive Wife comes in Is not aware of Partner's Or you know Partner's status Do you ever come across Such situations And how do you deal with them I have to speak to the one That came in first Mm -hmm. It's only ever happened once Mm -hmm. Um So I can't say it was like something that I've I've seen a lot Only ever happened once And he did disclose to the partner Because the partner He never came back to me He disclosed to the partner And she she came and told you She came to to tell me and to test And to do her basic whatever bloods The counts and the viral loads and things like that And she comes to me for treatment And he doesn't But it's fine He's getting treatment Elsewhere Yeah Oh, well, at least that worked out well Because a lot of times There isn't disclosure to the other part So I don't know if it was like A whole embarrassed thing mm. Or whatever And I mean, I mean I'm the doctor I don't stigmatize my patients mm. And those doctors who do Like shame on you yeah. Kind of thing so. And what people don't know That as medical doctors We have the legal right to, okay, so obviously the patient that has disclosed their status to us mm. Tells us I'm HIV positive And you say to the patient Well I know your partner I'm giving you two weeks to disclose to your partner And if you haven't Come back with your partner Having told them your status I will then pick up the phone And call mm. them and tell them Or call it's them in yeah. and tell them It's an, it's an, it's an ethical, ethical thing, thing. Yeah. And, it's, and it's written we, This is written down We have to do manual. that in our, to yeah, it's in our manual And very few people know that mm. So we are allowed to disclose But under very um, specific circumstances But for another thing that we, but some, some things we can't do For example If a 12 year old comes in And she needs contraception You couldn't tell her mom No never That uh, unless, daughter unless is on they, the pill Unless they said I can but I find that um, I haven't seen a 12 year old And I, I can't say thank goodness Because it's a bad thing Or anything like that I'm just saying 
I'm a mom and I can't imagine my 12 year old having sex. Well, eight year olds are having sex. Literally. You know what I'm saying? But I'm, I just can't. Eight so, year olds are having so sex. So, ju- you know, put me in a box or judge me for that, but I really, really cannot. Mm-hmm. But if a 12 year old came, I'd have to handle it, you know, professionally. Always. And, and, yeah. and not motherly. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? I can't scold the child. You have to like, put the mother aside. Sex? Yeah. Exactly. So I have seen 14, 16 year olds. Um, I probably say about 80% of those have come with their moms, which is very, very good. Like it's reassuring. Then they've been responsible and they're talking to their moms or their, or their dad and oh, they want to start having sex. They, or they exactly. Are having sex. And they're doing the right thing and they, you know, um, and I've seen those cases, which actually make me sad where you can see the mother brought this child on some, you're going to do it. I don't care whether you're having sex or not kind of thing. Like, like force the child to start to have a conversation. Yes. And, and it's black, white, Indian, pink, blue. And do you, some, do you, you agree to do that? And I'll ask the patient, you know, is this what you want? And they sort of say, yeah, well, it's what my mom wants. You know, if the mom is there, the child is there, the child agreed to come. I didn't go fetch fetch the child from home and drag it to my practice. Do you know what I'm saying? So she came to me with her mom. It's sort of like implicit consent to her mom that it's fine. I'm going to do this. Whether they're feeling like I'm not having sex or they feel like it's invasion. You know, it's, it's those things where it, 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 it's sad, but I don't know. It's just I can't of, believe that in 2015 we still have forced contraception. It, you know, moms are like, I'm not having a teenage uh, mother in my house. This person can do whatever they want once they're 18 out of my house or whatever. And maybe the mother knows their child's behavior. And I can't be like, um, no, but she doesn't seem like she wants to. Perhaps she's doing whatever she's doing and the mother can see this. And she comes to the practice looking all meek and vulnerable. You know, you don't know situations. Mm. So it's not my place to be stepping mm. in and saying, mom, you're wrong. But like I said, I've had a couple of 14, 16 year olds come in and say, on their own. On their own. Because mm-hmm. I'm, 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 my practice is in Boss Grain, which is close, close to Rampark High. So it's oh, very I close see. to a school. So they walk over and they're like, you know, this, 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 and me and my boyfriend, this. And I, you know, I do the whole, and they, the teens are, they love injections because there's hassles and mom won't see mm-hmm. as well. It's not tablets I must take home. And obviously there has to be the condom talk because this will prevent pregnancy, but it will not prevent Transmission of sexually transmitted yeah, infections. Exactly. Do you give condoms at I practice? Condoms. I get Free them, condoms. I get them from the Department of Health. So you give choice condoms? I give choice condoms. They work. Yeah, they're just I, as good as any other condom. And they, <laughs> they don't break <laughs> if you use them properly. <laughs> this whole condom broke stories. I'm always like, squint like, mm. <laughs> And the female yeah, condom? So I don't have femidoms. When I went to ask for condoms from the department, they gave me uh, 6,000 Two boxes of 6,000. So the 6,000 finished last year. So I'm, I've just recently opened the new box. And how was the uptake of it? It's fine. The people in the, in the shopping center come and fetch. You know, I give them to patients when they ask for them. We just literally, we give, and when I have like a health day, um, screening, cause I do that as well. Like once a year, I'll do like three BPs and cholesterol checks and I'll set up like a table in front of my practice and people walking by. We'll get them tested and things like that. But no, um, those who want HIV tests need to come then, uh, book a time, even if it's like 30 minutes, because I need to see, have you done this before? Do you need counseling? Et cetera, et cetera. So we don't do that outside in the open. <laughs> but yeah, and then they also give out like boxes and boxes of condoms and people take them. I mean, uh, you know, we just live in, it's 2015, like you said, like we, we the way, why people are frowning when you, when you buy condoms or fetch condoms from the doctor, you, people should be, should be clapping like, yay. Well done. You no, know, that's, that's, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And in terms of the weirdest stuff that you've ever seen, like give, just give me two weird things that you've seen in, in your practice, Lerato. Hmm. There's so many. Let me see. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that doesn't come immediately to the top of my head, mm. but there, there are those moments when I'm like, why did you sit 
at home with this for weeks and oh, months yeah, and things like that. And then they want me to be Jesus and perform miracles. Mm. Like, you know, and they almost look at you like, please fix me. And I'm like, I can't fix you. You're going to go to government hospital or you're going to go to private specialists. You're going to have, to, you're going to need further mm. assessment and probably hospitalization and things like that. Um, but if, like weird things I mentioned earlier to people asking me weird questions, it still happened. I mean, I think towards the end of last year, my mother asked me if I'm a good doctor and I'm going to treat a child right because she'd never been to a black, a black doctor, doctor before. before. I had to quickly catch my breath and compose myself and reel in any anger that was trying to surface and it was for the child. So I zipped my mouth. I didn't answer her question. Okay, but I assume I that your practice has Dr. Lerato Masimola written somewhere. Yes. So she knew when she walked into your room that you That's were a she, black doctor. I don't know. Maybe she, she thought, maybe she thought I was Portuguese or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. I mean, you must hear that we were like Dr. Masimola. It doesn't sound like a bit of Spanish, you know? <laughs> doesn't it sound a little but bit? But no, no, as I said, black female doctors, we always fight yeah. oxygen. I think it's, it's, it's quite sad because there's mm. quite a lot of us out there and, mm. um, yeah, I still but, get yeah. things like that, but hey, it's one of those. But things. I always tell this tale to pe- pe- people who come thinking they've got weird things. On my first day as an intern, as in like I arrived in Bulawayo Hospital, offloaded stuff out of the car, put stuff down in my little intern room, had to dress up and go to work. It was me and the surgical consultant. The ridge was in another hospital because we were short staffed. I scrubbed in. I was assisting in theatre on a bowel obstruction. The patient, the first patient of the night, was a ever, bowel obstruction. Ever, your f- internship, first patient ever. First patient ever. Like I've never touched anybody in casualty or in the ward. They just told me, intern, you here? You start work tomorrow, but we need you tonight. There I was in theatre with a specialist. Yeah, so I'm scrubbed in. He opens the tummy. Bowel pops out because it's full of pressure. It was there was a you know bowel obstructions when there's a blockage somewhere mm-hmm. in the intestines. He Made a slit to put in a suction to get out all the fluid. The a fountain went up my head, down my face. Yeah. No, no, not, not a fountain of feces. Yes, know. a fountain of that, of stuff that lives in the intestines. Nothing has ever topped that. In your whole yeah, the career. Sec- yeah, the, 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 the second horrible thing was me trying to give somebody else the bowel obstruction and NG tube, uh, it should be pu- pushed down the, the yeah, throat the to, 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 to deflate and relieve pressure because the, they're not vomiting, but the stomach is full. So mm. the stuff would come out, they'll feel a bit better. It's pain control. It's pre-op kind of management as well. And as I was pushing, I'm like, please swallow the tube, sir, swallow the tube. He decided to gag and vomit the stuff in my face. So, so you've had nothing's <laughs> ever topped that. So you've had, Feces and I've had amniotic fluid as well. Uh, Mama, don't push. When I'm saying don't push, don't push. My mouth is open and she pushes and and amniotic fluid came. So nothing's ever topped that in private practice. I've never seen it. I've seen lots of things, but nothing's ever topped those three things. So people mustn't come with scum and shame for whatever. Like I've got this thing. I see a lot of patients when they come for pap smears, they want to make sure it's eight o'clock in the morning. They've been to the wax person the day before. It really is neither here nor there for me. And that's the thing. We actually don't care. I think people exactly patients need like to know that when we're looking down there, it's just I don't care. I'm, out. I'm not saying, just, I'm not counting your hairs. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not checking to see if we, in everything. We actually don't see it. I'm just there to do the pap smear. What, mm. the, the one thing I do pay extra attention to is the cervix. Does mm. it look regular? Does it look fine? Does it look like anything? Because that's there? what you're worried exactly. about. Exactly. Exactly. But I everything else? 
doesn't matter. Exactly. Doesn't so. No, but thank you so much, Lorato, for being here. Where can we find you? I'm in the Bosgrain Village Shopping Center. And on Twitter? It's in, uh, it's in Randburg. Okay, so that's yeah. right. So Bosgrain in Randburg. Yeah. And on Twitter? At Tari Health. T-H-A-R-I. Health. H-E-A-L-T. And in fact, all my practice details are on there. We do have a Facebook page, Tari yes, Health Excellence. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. I think you've given us a lot of insights on what I think is the wonderful work that GP, um, GPs do And yeah I'll catch you guys next week um, Enjoy the rest of your um, afternoon And don't forget to catch Johnny Gill He'll be in studio on Friday On Valentine's Day Don't forget to tune in for him